brought. I've been told that you have some of the best battle card structure in the business. So what, what's the secret? First of all, that, that whole battle card thing, you know, being the best is a dirty lie. Um, but <laughs> I tell you what, Pete, you're great at running compete, but you're terrible at taking compliments. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host, Adam McQueen, and in today's episode, I was joined by Ben Shearer and Pete Cotavilla. Pete and Ben make up the Competitive Enablement Duo at Red Hat Software. In the episode, we dive into how they managed to enable thousands of sellers in the highly competitive open source software space, including the keys to making a killer battle card for both sales generalists and the more technical sellers, how Pete and Ben used the search analytics from their reps to inform where they should focus their attention, and how to make sure you get the right information to the right sellers at the right time. These two guys are absolute pros, and this was a great conversation. With that all said, let's get into today's episode. Today, I am joined by Pete Cotavilla, the Portfolio Competitive Marketing Strategy Lead at Red Hat, and... Ben Shearer, the Senior Principal Product Marketing Manager at Red Hat as well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. So Ben and Pete, they combined for over 35 years of professional experience in this product marketing competitive strategy space. And what we're going to get into today really is, as a lean team running competitive, how are you doing that at the enterprise level? Like right now, how, how many sellers are you in charge of enabling? Well, that's, that's tough. That involves... Uh daily the way uh the way we're growing here but i i think you know depending on how you count the roles we're, we're north of five thousand i'd say at this point maybe even six yeah for pretty pretty uh standard maybe for a company our size right around twenty thousand in total uh, employees here at red hat when you're enabling that scale you've got thousands of sellers you're located all across the world there's multiple business units there's multiple product lines what are the unique challenges that come with trying to tackle that from a competitive standpoint? I'd say, you know, you want people to be able to find what they need, when they need it, regardless of time zone, language, whatever. And unless you have a massive global team that's you know running a 24-hour war room type thing, you know, you need something that's there for them at all times that you know is arranged in such a way that they can self-serve um, any time of day or night, any time zone. Yeah, I think Pete nailed it, right? It's uh, self-service, it's convenience, and it's it's content that's of value too, right? That will actually help their role and their situation they're in at the time. So always kind of looking at standardizing, looking at, you know, directing our, our sales force towards, you know, kind of the, the one-stop shop, so to speak. So when you talk about that content of value, that's something I'm really excited to kind of jump into here because... Selling open source technology and some of the product lines, they can be complex, right? But one of the things that I think the two of you have had a heavy hand in is trying to help simplify the sales process and doing that with a lens on competitors as well. So can you tell me about what that process has been like to try and help elevate the conversation from the features and functions? I mean, I don't know that we're touching the sales process per se. Uh, we're, we're more touching, you know, the, the the front end of it, you know, the way they compete. So Red Hat has a 20-year history, right? Uh, and we've evolved uh, over that time from sort of uh, operating system into, into many other things, like you said, you know, kind of on, on the open source uh, side of the house. And so 
what used to be a very technical sale um, enabled by very technical people has evolved into something uh, a little bit different, uh, you know, with a broader sales force, uh, a more elaborate sales force with different levels, right? So we no longer just sort of have technical sellers. We have more traditional, uh, you know, account executives who are there to, to build the relationship and have the first conversation. When you hire and scale a sales force like that, they're not going to instantly be you know, technical whizzes, nor do we want them to be necessarily. We have those people, right? We have, we have solution architects, we have sales specialists, um, you know, real subject matter experts. And so I think the challenge is to ramp that generalist sales force to the point where they can have that first conversation. They can overcome competitive objections. They can plant seeds. Um, and, and that really was, was kind of the enablement, the competitive enablement piece, if you will, aspect uh, to what we were trying to achieve. Did I, did I hit the, the high points there, Ben? Yeah, and I think just to add a little little color too is, um, you know, this isn't just unique to Red Hat. In fact, the organization I, I came from prior to Red Hat, we were in the same predicament, right? We, we sold in with kind of a single technology, built the company, a very technical, tactical salespeople, right? Did well, brought up the company. Now we have portfolios. That's where kind of Pete and I sit in the portfolio side of the business where kind of back to your original question, we're trying to find those points at a solution level that enables our sellers, our generalists to, to sell and, and like Pete said, overcome objections and be able to position properly and, and differentiate ourselves uh, from, from the competitors in the field. What's that experience been like from both of your standpoints then? Because you've, you've spent a lot of time, like you said, like to begin with these technical sellers, solutions mm-hmm. architects, and now you're also you're trying to trans not transition, but you're also creating this new content that, like you said, is elevated, simplified. Like what's that process kind of been like for you to having very technical information and being able to, for lack of a better word, translate or, or, or simplify mm-hmm. it? I, I'd say, I, and, and Ben, ben uh, hit on the main point here, we <laughs> kind of forgot the group I was working in, but uh, we're, <laughs> we, as he mentioned, we're in the portfolio group, right? So, so as, as Red Hat's grown, we've gone from, you know, sort of one main product to multiple business units focused on different products. And in the portfolio group, you know, we're charged with looking across those business units, across those products, thinking about things in terms of, of solutions. So once you start to do that, you naturally sort of have to elevate the conversation because uh, there's no way you can <laughs> hit everything. You mentioned the, the variety of open source products. There's, you know, hundreds of thousands and, and even, even in our portfolio, what we can sell, there's, there's many, many hundreds. So looking at it from that portfolio point of view starts to naturally elevate things, I would say. Yeah, and we still have our our support in the business unit, the particular product business units themselves. So there are um, maybe more technical um, uh, competitive resources down there that kind of do the deep dives, the uh, you know, product teardowns, those type of things. Have we done that in the past? Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely been been part of my career, um, my past experience. Now, uh, like like Pete mentioned, these these is our this is our opportunity to take you know that knowledge and and make it kind of uh, distill it up, right? Like a real kind of competitive marketer does. So you, you think about how how you know the market we're in has evolved the way. F- you know, the future state of things, those conversations go and people talk about digital transformation. And, and you know, that's, that's elevated 
to the to the CXO level where they're curious about it. And so you're not you're getting a different inquiry uh, and different groups are, are looking at these technologies. So it's not just people trying to solve a technical problem. It's it's business leaders trying to solve a, a digital transformation uh, or, or implement a, some sort of digital transformation project. And so you naturally get a different level of inquiry. And that's why you have to be able to respond in a different way. You can't you can't respond to the business inquiry with 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 speeds and feeds, if you will. You're saying so when when what you're saying there is there a more or different stakeholders involved in the process, you kind of having to tweak the pitch or the value to different stakeholders across the buying process now? Sure. I mean, as with anywhere, you're 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 trying to focus on the personas you're trying to get to. I guess I'm I'm talking more about the broader market shift where you know it's it's elevated above the specific technologies and you're talking about transforming industries and transforming the way you you work. Um, and that naturally brings more audiences uh, to the table. Yeah, but then that aligns directly with our, uh, of course, our strategy here at Red Hat. So, so we're not just selling, you know, operating systems. We're we're selling, you know, digital transformation. That aspirational messaging. I I think that that's when you see aspirational messaging. How do you nail that in a way that it feels? I think there needs to be at least some level of like making it feel tangible. It can't be buzzwordy, but you do want to have mm-hmm. this like. You don't want to be bogged down in, again, like we said, the feature side. You want to set this, like like I think you mentioned, a digital transformation, but making that feel real to those people. Yeah, that's probably the most difficult <laughs> part of, of this type of work is there's there's a lot of noise out there. So, so it's easy to get caught in that kind of buzzword trap, right, and, and use that. But I think, you know, to our, our, our best success and – and so far, I think, is being able to really identify who those kind of target buyer personas are and, and use language that really resonates, right? And, and it not only goes to the messaging, but also to the places that they might read that messaging and, and, um, and who, who that comes from. Uh, so there, there's a lot of kind of factors involved in that. And, you know, the, the formulas change all the time and, and you just keep kind of testing and see what works and what doesn't. So uh, uh, that's, that's the part that keeps this, this job exciting for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's my, my fault for, for uh, going straight to the buzzword uh, of digital transformation. Uh, I apologize to the audience, um, but, <laughs> you know, you start there and really our job is, is to provide those layers down, right? So from digital transformation, you know, what are the solutions within it that different personas, different industries, uh, different business groups will care about? Um, and then bringing that, you know, uh, down yet another layer to the technology and down yet another layer. Um, so, so sorry again for digital transformation, but you do no, take- it's, it's okay, Pete, to refer it as such. Just don't use it in your messaging, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I appreciate it. It's a good starting point. I, I'm curious as well, actually, is when with this, you mentioned it's almost like different la- layers of messaging there. I love the idea of like you have digital transformation and then there's layers of context to make it feel more full and not a buzzword. Where does your competitive positioning fit in these different layers? Are you constantly trying to differentiate yourself in every layer of messaging? Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> you always <laughs> want to differentiate, but uh, for, ben, for Ben and I, we're focused, you know, somewhere between digital transformation and 
um, you know, specific integrations between products, right? Um, yeah. And how fast those run and, and you know, what hardware they run on, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, those are the layers I'm talking about. I mean, there's a, there's a solution layer, there's making it relevant to your audience. Um, and then, you know, let's say in the, you said sales process, then as, then as that moves forward and, you know, the person you're selling to needs to, to validate it from a technology standpoint, then you're down, you know, yet another layer talking about their specific environment, because there's, there's no one size fits all. Now, as much as open source normalizes some of that, you know, with, with uh, the variety and the, and the integration capabilities, um, it really comes down to the specific environment you're selling into. And that's when you can get into the, the the really technical stuff. But we live we live above that layer, I would say. Yeah, and this is great. Like you know, kind of this this context is is something that you know a lot of our our marketing peers are are looking to to understand more about. To be quite honest, as as far as the the competitive side of things go, um, hence competitive marketing. But uh, I. Think you know to what Pete said. It you can work hand in hand with your product marketers for go to pro, go to market with kind of what those differentiators are, why we differentiate, and how you position. Right, so you can partner with maybe a, a product marketer that does messaging at their layer. Um, but if it's an initiative or something like what we would manage at at uh, Red Hat, for example, um, we would develop that type of messaging. Uh, to satisfy maybe a, a higher, you know, portfolio view of of our, you know, benefits and differentiators. That's really that's an interesting way to approach, and this is, I think, what's really valuable for for listeners as well as because you are at this enterprise level. There's so many more. There's so many more departments. There's different levels to this. That mm-hmm. communication isn't as simple as a 200 person company, right? There's a lot more that has to be thought through in terms of the levels of communication that you're having with different teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the points you made as well, especially with new sell, um, generalist sellers coming in, I think, Pete, you mentioned that like you're bringing in a lot of new sellers too. Like you're growing a lot of new sellers. How, how are you ramping them on, on competitors? Like what's, what's that looking like? Well, I mean, uh, glad you asked. I, I, uh, <laughs> we have a competitive platform that helps a lot with that. I won't name it, but um, <laughs> no, but it really is giving giving those folks, those generalists, uh, a place to go to to learn quickly um, and, and a place to go back to. I, and it's, this has been especially important during these pandemic times when you're not in office and you can't turn to your resident specialist and ask a question you know, as a brand new person. Um, so we've actually built some, some training into the first couple days enablement training. Um, so they know where to go and find information. So that's been very helpful. And, and, I, and actually we did parse out a little bit between even a couple layers of generalists, because we have some folks who take, you know, the very first phone call off of a campaign and they need, you know, sort of one layer of information. And then, you know, your enterprise account executive types might need, you know, a little bit more, but you're still not into the super technical weeds at that point. Yeah. And, and to really simplify it too, what, what Pete and I have built is, is just a slide, right. For, for more competitive support. And we give it to everyone in the organization to attach it to their enablement and uh, the slide, you know, lists additional resources and which would include the, the, the platform that he spoke of earlier. Is there anything else on your end or is there a partnership between the teams that are are enabling or ramping these sellers as well on competitors? Like, how do you, 
how do you ensure that they are getting ramped up on competitors that they are going into these self-serve things is there is there kind of what does that process look like <laughs> well i mentioned we built it into sort of the day day one through three enablement um but actually a broader sales enablement uh you know resides on our team um so we make sure we stay connected with them for the types of sessions that would merit bringing this particular piece of enablement to the forefront so the enablement gives all sorts of types of sessions um but when they're doing uh something general or something competitive we make sure we're we're included yeah and it's also kind of a it's a tough road to walk uh because our sellers we don't want to bombard them all the time so working with enablement and this i got to think this is not unique within red hat i know the last at least three companies i worked for we had the same problem right so so you want to make sure that you have the most impactful kind of enablement content um if you can you can join forces with others um, to, to present the, the right content and ensure that they get the information they need and their attention. Uh, that that's the better. You know, obviously, our leadership wants our sellers to out, be out there selling, but at the same time, they do need to kind of you know ensure that they they have all the information they need as well. That you mentioned, this is a common problem not that you've just seen over over your career. What's mm -hmm. in your eyes? What's been like some of the most positive ways to kind of solve that problem like what have you seen that has worked in terms of yeah helping uh, that enablement side you want to ramp is ramping sellers but you know that just learning about competitors isn't their only job they've got a lot of other things they don't need information overload they need to be out in the field selling but then you also know like shoot they better they need to know how to talk about this competitor in a deal they can't be bsing and it's it's just so it's such a delicate dance, especially with how many tier one competitors are you are you battling against right now? Yeah, I couldn't even put a number on that, but it's the just in time aspect, right? Like you said, uh -huh. no one's going to sit time. No one's going to sit down and learn, you know, all 30, 50 tier one competitors at once. They're going to want to know one piece of information at the exact time they're competing against that particular competitor for this type of use case. Right. And the quicker you can get them to that answer, the better. Um, yep. And you know, if you've structured your information in such a way they can find that, or you have good search functionality, even if you didn't get the exact right thing they were looking for, um, I think that's what's important. So it's sort of that that just in time, can I find what I need right away, wherever I am, bang. That's what yeah, I would say. I, and just to mention on top of that is, you know, what, what are they looking for, right? Let's make sure we're providing them the information they need, uh, again, in a, a way that it's easy for them to, to access without having to ask where it, where it is. And then also be able to, to, you know, monitor trends. Like if we're not covering competitors that we need to cover, um, you know, understanding that and, and, you know, shifting our focus to ensure that we, we provide the right content. How, how do you know what they want then? How, how do you know if you're not providing what they want? And also the same thing on that is like the, the trend side of thing, like what are you using to determine, okay, we need to focus more on this competitor. Like what are, are there benchmarks? Is it like anecdotal <laughs> feedback? Like what, what does that look like to be like, okay, we've got so many competitors, yeah. but this one really do, does take presence right now. Pete's the data guy. So I'll, I'll <laughs> let him answer that question. <laughs> Numbers guy, Pete, let's, let's hear it. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, again, we we have a platform that 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 allows us uh, some analytics, right? So you you can 
see very quickly what people are looking for and finding and what they're looking for and not finding. And, and I find that not finding piece the most useful. If you have a, a whole raft of, of searches that don't get fulfilled on a competitor you don't cover, that may be the next one that's, uh, that's coming down the pike. A lot of times you can look to your CRM system for that, that kind of information as well, but uh, not all CRM systems uh, are as efficient in capturing that exact sort of competitive dynamics. So, um, you know, our, our competitive tool uh, does a great job with, with backend analytics that, that help provide that sort of future look. Yeah, I was going to say, we also look at just, you know, like raw data, like, you know, inquiries that are coming in, text, emails, we have common aliases that we use for competitive. Um, so, so that gives us a feel of, you know, what kind of opportunities we're involved in, just more, more kind of the situations where it may not be land on, on a platform or analytical record or something like that. Um, just kind of water cooler talk type stuff. But, and we also, lastly, we do um, sometimes do, uh, or we did do one at the end of last year where we just did a, a survey kind of just to get a, a point, a touch point where our competition kind of is the highest and uh, sales somewhat responsive to that. Yeah, and you can also look at, at what you do cover and usage of that same, right? You can say, you know, this is yeah. what people are really hammering. And, and you can parse that out by where those people sit, you know, to get really tight on what's happening by whatever you want to see. Um, if you connect the backend analytics to say, wh where were these people who were looking at this particular competitor and what kind of frequency and how does that change across time? Um, you know, that's fascinating stuff and that helps a lot. Ben, what are a couple of the questions you ask on that survey? I, I try to make it kind of the one minute survey, you know, mm -hmm. so sales looks at it and they're like, oh crap, you know, I can't do, <laughs> I can't spend the next 15, 20 minutes an answering questions. And we literally made a one minute survey, right? I timed it. <laughs> and it was, you know, just kind of simple questions, you know, with this product area, you know, where do you see your biggest competitive threats? You know, simple things like that. And uh, and then we get, like Pete said, we get, when we get answers back, we, we know who it is, you know, what area they represent, even what, you know, geography. So, so we can get just by them simply answering the question, not only the answers, but also kind of the demographics too. Pete, your point about being able to provide what they want by looking at search um, inquiries and that part of the part of the deal, it's, it's, it reminds me, I had a conversation actually on Monday with someone running compete at an enterprise level and quote unquote, what they said was, I feel like I'm kind of blindfolded, throwing darts at the dartboard on what sales want. So it's, it's interesting, like from Ben's standpoint, it's like, let's get that qualitative feedback, survey them, because mm -hmm. then we can satisfy, there might be a common trend there from a qualitative standpoint. But what's it done for you in your role to be able to look at those numbers, those analytics and be like, okay, that's how I'm going to feed. This is the information I'm going to feed. This is the competitor I'm going to focus on. Has there been feedback from sales at all? Or those teams that you're meeting their actual, like their needs now, and you're not doing the chuck the dart at the dartboard? Yeah, I... <laughs> As Ben said, um, sellers are, are overburdened with corporate programs and messages and surveys and newsletters. So to the extent possible, I like to rely on the data to tell me what to do, right? So if I see a particular competitor being hit more often than another, then I know that one needs to be the first to get updated, right? Because 
people are coming back to it and, and you want to be on top of, of any trends that are happening with that particular competitor. So that's, that's how I use it. There are more qualitative feedback loops built into the system that I would love to leverage. Uh, we're not as good at that yet for specific items. So, so again, I, I'd use the data um, and go where it tells me. I want to get into sort of structuring and tell. I think it's something as well, um, Pete, that you mentioned a little bit earlier, being able to structure. I think when we're talking about ramping, you're like reps need what they need when they need it in a format that's one of value and two consumable. So I've been told, I haven't actually looked at your battle card structure, but I've been told that you have some of the best battle card structure in the business. So what what's the secret? What's the secret? I think from the general standpoint and then more of the technical how you're building battle cards with your technical sellers that we mentioned are they're complex products. There's multiple personas. Like how are you structuring those battle cards? Uh, first of all, that, that whole battle card thing, you know, being the best is a dirty lie. Um, but <laughs> it, it... <laughs> Pete, you, I tell you what, Pete, you're great at running compete, but you're terrible at taking compliments. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it depends who you ask. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> No, when we were imagining battle cards structure, that is, for the sales generalist, you know, I invited a large group to participate in that and did some external research, as well as leveraging my own experience to sort of throw out a universe of stuff we could provide. And then we had a few meetings where we honed it down, you know, based on the structure of our tool, we knew we could use, you know, somewhere between seven and nine cards to represent this. <laughs> I hate to be exact, um, to represent what we wanted to represent. And we sort of narrowed down on what we thought would be, you know, the most important things to show to a generalist. Um, and so that's how the structure came together. Um, and, and there were, you know, and this was, this was in conjunction with, with more technical people, with some product marketers, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, for those people that had other ideas or more detailed, more technical ideas, um, what we always said and what we've done is breadcrumb to that information, right? So if you have a generalist that comes in and wants to see, you know, how to overcome objections that a particular competitor is going to throw out there, we'll give them the high level, you know, top three or four things, you know, on the battle card. But then if they want to go deeper, there's always a link to that more detailed information and they can go down and down and down until they get into the real nitty gritty. And that's not necessarily housed all in the same platform. You know, we have, we have uh, uh, platforms that house, you know, some of our static documents and data sheets and things like that. But the point is they can start high and go as low as they want. Um, and they always know where to go. And I think um, that's pretty common. It's got to be a pretty common practice um, where, you know, obviously there's some very detailed kind of um, content that's been built out that's just kind of referenced through the platform. Um, so uh, I've, I've seen that across a couple of companies, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, building the building that structure. And my experience has been, um, you know, you want to throw more at it. Um, and as much as you can, but at the same time, you don't want to overwhelm your user. So there's kind of that, that fine line, right? You want to ensure that it's the right content in kind of the right layers and, and presented correctly that, that the users kind of can consume and absorb it very efficiently. Who's in the room with you when you're, when you first talk about like 
some of the content we could create. You mentioned that it's it's not just you solo making it, but like, I think this is what sales want. Like who's in that room to be able to create content, get a three like 360 perspective on what content will actually be useful. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we had uh, we had some product marketing folks. We had some competitive resources from different business units and then external sort of benchmarking type information. I mean, anyone can go out and, you know, Google what's what's in a good battle card. Right. And you'll get a you'll get a whole host of of, <laughs> of information you can leverage. I just wanted to sort of, uh, you know, round out the sphere of what was possible or not possible, but what other people had done across time and decide together what was best for us in our particular situation and the way we sell and what we sell in the markets we sell in. So it was really just trying to be as inclusive as possible with the content and with the people who wanted to contribute to the structure. It's a, that's again, a common thing I've heard is if product marketers or even at bigger companies, like a compete team are producing this content in a silo in their ivory tower, it's not actually going to get used if it doesn't have that kind of consultative feedback or like inclusiveness, I think is the word you mentioned in the process of creating the content. Is there a piece of content that you thought that's got to be in your battle cards? To me, I think about objection handling when, when you mention that because it incorporates so much and it's so simple, right? It incorporates what you know about the competitor, what you know they're going to ding us on. You don't have to search through a bunch of information, figure it out for yourself. It's, I know they're going to say this and here's what you say back. Um, mm-hmm. And that seems to be very, very well received. Uh, it's If you think about it, if you were looking in a, in a higher, well, a lower level presentation, you kind of have to think about that. You're so come up with it yourself and, and sort of doing that for them, um, I think is a big deal. So I, I'd say objection handling is my favorite section. It is well used. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think uh, we, we always do like a, a companion, you know, traps to set type battle card too, right? So, you know, here, when you have the conversation, you may know that a competitor is in deal, but perhaps your customer hasn't let on to it or, or has even asked direct questions about the competitor versus your product. You, you can set kind of traps like, well, you know, we're the only one that does this. Or if you go, you know, if you approach it this way, you know, we've, we've had several companies customers come to us and help them fix that problem. So, you know, the, those are always great for sellers to, to kind of uh, put into their com- their customer conversations. You stop the conversation from ending and, and you open up the right kind of conversation that you want to have, right? And that's, that's a big deal for the sales generalist. Is it verbatim talk tracks in there in terms of the landmines to lay? Is it use this line or is it more here are some pointers like what's that level of like <laughs> prescriptiveness well, i hope but i hope it's not verbatim i hope it's not verbatim it could be like it was it's not written in such a way that it's meant to be verbatim i, I guess someone c- could do it that way but it's meant to plant the right idea and the concept i don't know ben what do you I, think <laughs> yeah um exactly this is a these are kind of seed questions that that a, a good seller will weave into their conversation in their point of view. Um, that kind of leads to like one, another asset that I always thought was pretty good is having that that mock conversation, right? The telling the sales story. So so we've had sellers 
and customer role plays where you know we've we've used those types of questions and used them in in context to you know whatever the condition was at the time so so we impart on our sellers to you know be creative and and most are right or else they wouldn't be good at sales and they're just reading off the script that's not going to work for them well it'd be impossible to you know based on the variety of of products sold and the way they fit together and the customer's environment you know you couldn't account for for every situation, right? What Are you using it? social proof in these sort of landmines to lay? Is there examples from maybe other reps using this landmine in, in a real deal? Or is there a customer story or sort of maybe a reference from a previous deal to kind of validate that, hey, this landmine is not only do we know it's good, but like it's also worked here. And these are some of the resources you could use to even cement that landmine even more. Yeah, yeah. Typically, to convince our sellers, I mean that this is the right talk track. Is we use other sellers, right? So it's not us, just like you said, from the ivory tower telling them how to sell. You know, it's like lead lead by example. So so we engage our sellers to impart competitive wisdom amongst their peers. Yeah, and we we always link to to case studies and referenceable materials mm-hmm. that would reinforce. Um, the same, sometimes not as directly as you've mentioned. Maybe you want to mm. come work for us. Um, you know, it's <laughs> a, a fine idea to tie that more tightly. But yeah, the the, the proof points, if we're doing our job, should support <laughs> those points. What about okay? Someone starting battle cards from scratch. There's probably a folks listening here as well that are just starting with compete or it's on the side of the desk. They've got some battle cards. What is one thing they should not be doing with their battle cards? Yeah, I think I think I alluded to this earlier. It's it's don't stuff too much information in them, right? Keep them very concise and to what you're actually offering in a battle card, right? Is it is it one product against another? Is it a feature? A feature? Is it a talking about you know a technology area or something like that? And it's okay to have several battle cards, but keep the topics tight and the, the content tight. Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a tough question, right? Because it depends on the type of sale and the seller mm-hmm. and the audience and all of that. I mean, but, but Ben's, Ben's advice is, is, is spot on, right? So keep it to the top X if you're at the generalist level, you know, the, the, the high level talking points. I was going to say, you know, don't put a, a big, you know, spreadsheets of, of feature comparisons, but that might be an element of a battle card for a more technical seller, right? For a specialist. So I, I can't give you an absolute there, but, but keeping it simple and, and, and digestible um, for that specific audience is, is the main thing I would say. What about with you two personally bringing in this kind of program and process in place? And it feels like when I'm listening to you that there's been this sort of transformation and being able to really identify and satisfy end user needs, seller needs. Has there been like any change in perception from external departments on how they look at competitive or how they use competitive or how they, are they turning to it more frequently? Is there, is there a competitive culture building? I mean, the culture question is a big one, right? Uh, <laughs> and it would take uh, many more surveys uh, in a world of too many surveys to, to figure that out. But again, I told you, I, I look at the data and I look at the growth of our, of our competitive platform and, uh, you know, both indicate, you know, more usage and more interest, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd love to, 
I'd love to survey the hell out of people and, and understand exactly what everyone's thinking and, um, you know, pat myself on the back, but that's never going to happen. So I'm looking at the data and the data is, is very directionally encouraging. If you make your survey 45 seconds, then maybe they'll use do yours over Ben's. No, really, all you got to do is put Ben's name on it and they'll answer. You put my name on it and they run <laughs> <Yeah>, away. <right. laughs> I, I want to be courteous of your time. Uh, there's an, another couple questions I'd have, and I think this is something that Ben, you've done in your role over at Red Hat, is these sort of deep dive teardowns on a single competitor too. When you've done these kind of deep dives on a single competitor, is there a segment or a section that you've done that you notice has resonated most with the audience? Well, I think typically when we choose to go after a, a targeted competitor, so to speak, there, there's a need there, right? So there's um, so, so there, there's some type of market trigger or, or condition where we're ca- it caused this to happen. And um, it might be a direct, you know, arrow at our bow or some some point, you know, a product announcement that directly competes with ours that uh, existed before. So at this point, we, you know, really look at what the, the impact is, and we might not know what the impact is right away. Um, in fact, we, we put together a, a process to, to kind of help evaluate that um, and then decide on what type of actions to take. But, but when we've made that determination, we really look at uh, kind of a top-down approach at positioning, right? Everything from the high-level positioning, like Pete said, down to um, like breadcrumbing down into the individual products that might compete uh, at, at a competitor's site. So um, it, it certainly is uh, a pretty, can be an exhaustive. And, and I look at it almost like a, maybe a battle card, but more of a playbook, maybe a collection of battle cards, right? So you, you kind of break it down as to, to the areas that you want to, that you're competing in and then distilling it to a point where obviously your, your um, counterparts and sales can, can effectively position at a high level, but also, you know, compete down at the technical level. And it also has to do, and this is something we've been getting into probably the last year or so, and Pete might have some to add to that too, but, you know, targeting, targeting, um, uh, kind of the sales funnel, the areas of the funnel, right? Is it a qualification uh, opportunity, qualify the opportunity all the way to kind of, you know, make make that sale? And, and where does that asset kind of sit or, or where does that competitive content sit in the funnel? And, and we've done that um, probably subconsciously uh, all along, but now we're, we're looking at this a little more methodically as well. Well, I was thinking about Ben's deep dive stuff and the role play I thought the the role play stuff is great, you know. So yeah, you, you work with uh, with a technical seller or whatever seller you're you're, you're targeting, and kind of go through a real case uh, scenario um, so they can hear the back and forth. Um, I found that very valuable. Is that the thing yeah. that makes it? Because I think again, when you talk about almost like the ramping side of things, enabling a bunch of competitors, like realistically like your hope is that maybe 20% is retained in that moment. And is it sort of those role plays that mm. are the things that will help people? It makes it a bit more tangible for someone to remember when they go off and then they're selling like, Oh, I remember that mm-hmm. session that we did there. And because of this conversation, I remember that back and forth. Yeah. And I, that's a layer down for me. Right. But, but if you're really in it, 
you know, you've gone beyond the, the, the talking points and you're, you're at a stage in your deal where you know you're going to have that kind of conversation. Then you go to that level. And I would hope you retain 80% rather than 20% at that point because you're really focused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it kind of goes back to the original question, like how do we, you know, enable our, our sales force? Uh, you know, what do we do to get them to, to consume our content? And, and, you know, like with any sales roles, like the, it's, it's, they only need what they need at that point in time. So, so if they're in opportunities don't, that don't have, you know, the type of competition that we're and the, the competitive um, content that we're offering at that time, uh, then they're not going to consume it. So, so if we're doing like, like you mentioned earlier, like we have a targeted competitor and we're doing specific enablement on that targeted competitor, we can, we can safely assume maybe that a large majority of our sellers are going to run into this competitor, but if it's not there in their account at that time, they're, they're most likely they will not be interested in listening to what we have to say. When I'm, where I'm hearing from kind of this whole conversation is as well, especially a big organization is like having multiple touch points to a seller too because you can't expect them to retain it that one single time you can't show up at sko and go, this is this is competitive now you better yeah. use it for the next year and we'll see you next year it feels like there's this kind of combination between relevant content to the audience breadcrumbing enablement sessions survey and feedback looking at the data like there's just so many different um levers at play in order to really embed competitive amongst how the sellers are, are operating and it changes across time. And that's yeah. why it's great to have uh, data and a feedback loop, um, you know, to evolve with, with the way the market evolves, with the way the, the solutions evolve. And, you know, I'm sure when digital transformation gets replaced with something else, we'll have to revamp uh, everything. <laughs> <you're doing. laughs> My last question before we leave here is, what is one thing that you hope to do better in terms of how, you enable your sellers to compete moving forward. What's what's on the what's on the goal for 2022 to level up how Red Hat is winning? I, I was going to twist that question for my own purposes. Um, <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> what what I want to do, um, and it has less to do with the sellers and more to do with the function, is connect yep. connect yeah. usage. To performance, right? To say, you know, people who consume the competitive content, um, you know, sell bigger deals faster and are generally happier people with dogs and cats and all that, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, that doesn't answer your question, but but that's it, it totally that's kind of a does. place I want to go, right? To, and then that and that's going to help the sellers too, right? Because you do more of what works. It's just a much more concrete, direct. Mm. Um, you know, set of data to say, look, this is working. This, you know, people who consume this content are are selling this much more, this much faster. And so everyone consumed the content, right? Yeah, that, that's definitely the holy grail, I think, is, um, you know, also to, to, you know, always look for, you know, better ways of doing things too. You know, we, we're always kind of looking at, you know, what the industry is doing, what, um, you know, other kind of real competitive companies, how, how they're competing and how they're using, you know, competitive intelligence, competitive marketing, competitive enablement to, to kind of bolster their, their sales force and, and go to market. So, um, yeah, that's certainly uh, the, the peer um, network is, is crucial in this industry. Sure. Pete, I love, I love Pete 
with the numbers and the data. I, I appreciate it so much. Who, who would you be sharing that information with within like your internal teams when you have, say, if you were able to have consumption with win rate, like that correlation, like where are you, who would you share those numbers to? Is that, is that a sales side? Is that a C-suite? Like who's, who would you share that to? to? Man, I, I'd shout it from the top of the tallest mountain, right? I mean, I, I think, I think it'd help in a lot of different ways, right? I, I would use it to, you know, potentially up resources for the competitive department. I would use it with sales to get higher consumption. Um, you know, you could use it with specific groups, depending on what the data says, um, you know, to tell them how they're, how they're doing in their own patch. Right. I mean, there's so much you can do with that. All right, Ben and Pete, I'm sure with how you two are operating right now there, I have no doubt that that will be, that will happen in 2022. I appreciate you both taking the time and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Great conversation. All right. We'll catch everyone next week.